Father, we ask now that you would speak to us through this part of the Bible. We ask that you would reveal your truth and your will to us. And we pray to you, Lord, that long after this sermon is over, that you would continue to speak to us through your Holy Spirit as we meditate on your word and apply it to our lives. May we be open this morning to the leading and your guidance so that we may live in a manner that is pleasing to you. Speak to us, we pray this morning, in Jesus' name. Amen. James Usher, and there's a beautiful picture of him coming up on the screen, was a Church of Ireland bishop, the Bishop of Armagh. He was born in 1581, and there's not a picture of him inside, is there, guys? Sure, there we go. Look, look at that guy. I don't know what you call these doily things, but I think we should bring them back. I think I'd look quite good in one. Uh, so James Usher, the Bishop of Armagh, and um, one day James Usher was, was actually sailing. He was sailing to another part of Ireland, and he was shipwrecked off the coast. And so he went to the local town, and he found the local Church of Ireland clergyman. And of course, he was disheveled, and, and he, you know, he'd been in a shipwreck. And he went there to find help. He went there to get supplies. He went there to be fed. He went there seeking help. And he approached the, the clergyman and he said who he was. My name is James Usher. I'm the Bishop of Armagh and, and I just need your help. Well, the clergyman, he was a wee bit reluctant to help him. He looked at this disheveled man claiming to be a bishop. He thought, this guy's having me on. This guy's a charlatan. This guy is trying to take advantage of me. And so the clergyman asked him, well, I tell you what, he said, if you're a bishop, you need to tell me how many commandments there are. And if you tell me how many commandments there are, then I'll believe you and then I'll help you. James Usher turned to the clergyman. He says, I can prove without a doubt that I am a bishop. He said, there are 11 commandments. 11, he said, there's not 11, there's only 10. And he gave him a Bible and he says, prove it, prove it there's 11. And so James Usher opened up to John chapter 13 and he read the words of Jesus a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Corrected and convicted, the clergyman immediately received Usher into his home and provided all the help that he needed. Unlike this clergyman, though, who was reluctant to love his brother, unlike this clergyman who was hesitant to love his brother in Christ, the Thessalonians Christians were incredible at it. This little church family in Thessalonia, they got top marks when it came to loving one another within their church family. Just look what Paul writes to them in verse 9. He says to this little group of Christians, this little church family, now about brotherly love, we do not need to write to you. For you yourselves have been taught by God to love each other. About loving one another as a church family, Paul says to these Christians, I don't need to write anything to you about this. I don't need to give you any more instructions on this matter. Why? Because you're doing it so well. You're loving each other like family. You Thessalonians, you're incredible at how you love one another. In fact, it's clear, Paul says, that you've been taught by God to do this. In the Greek, this word God taught, it's not used anywhere else in the Bible. It's not used anywhere else in any literature that can be found. This is a term coined by Paul. It's like these Christians have, have had a lesson from God himself on how to love each other well, and they're following the letter. They're following his teaching. This church family are incredible at loving one another. They've received the love of God, 
and they're pouring out that love to each other. I love what John Calvin says about these Christians. He says that the love was engraven upon their hearts so that there was no need of, of letters written on paper. Love was engraven on their hearts to such an extent that they didn't need to be told how to love with a letter written on paper. They'd been taught by God about how to love one another. And the type of love that Paul's talking about here, it's, it's in the Greek, it's, it's brotherly love. It's family love. They were loving each other like family. It's amazing how family love each other, isn't it? Even if you've fallen out with a family member, you'll love them, won't you? You'll help them if you're there in need. Even if you're not getting on with someone and they're a member of your family and they need help, you'll help them. Even if you disagree on things, you're still united in love for one another. There is a special type of love, isn't there, amongst members of a family. And Paul says this is the type of love that God has taught you to have for each other. And about this type of love, I don't need to write a thing to you. Top marks, 100%. They were amazing at loving each other in the church family like family. But they weren't just amazing at loving one another. No, it seems that their love didn't just stay within their little church family, but their love extended to Christians from all over the province of Macedonia. If Paul was writing to us, he'd say, listen, you know, you guys at Ravenhill, you love each other so well in a church family, but more than that, you love people from all of Belfast. You love all the Christians in Belfast. In fact, I know that you love all the Christians in County Andrum. You're just so great at loving one another. And we see that in the text. Have a look at how Paul continues to give them top marks in verse 10. And in fact, you do love all the brothers throughout Macedonia. Now, there's something we need to understand here. How could they love everybody in, in the whole of Macedonia? What's Paul getting at here? Well, well, Thessalonica, it was the capital city of the province of Macedonia. It was like the Belfast. It was the capital. And what would happen is that people would come from all over Macedonia to sell their goods in Thessalonica. So there'd be farmers coming. There'd be merchants coming. There'd be traders coming. And they'd all be coming to Thessalonica to trade and to sell and to do their business. And obviously, a lot of these traders, because the gospel had been spread, a lot of these traders and merchants and farmers were Christians. They were fellow believers in Christ. And I think what Paul is getting at here is that whenever these fellow believers came to the big city, the Christians in that city loved them well. There were no such things as hotels, so the Christians said, come on in and stay with us. Come on in, brother, and you can have a bed in my house. Come on in, brother, and we'll feed you while you stay here in the big city. Hey, you're here on a Sunday. Come on to our church and worship with us. Let us pray for you. Let us encourage you. It's amazing. These Christians in Thessalonica not just loved each other, but they loved all of the brothers and sisters in Christ who were coming to their city. They looked after them. They welcomed them in. They showed hospitality. They got top marks in loving their brothers and sisters in Christ. Unlike the clergyman, eh? So unlike the clergyman, they invited people in and looked after them. And so Paul says he's, he's no need to write to them about loving one another. He's no need to write to them about loving brothers and sisters in Christ from Macedonia because they get top marks. But yet what does Paul do? He encourages them to keep on doing this more and more and more. Look how he finishes verse 10. Look at the text with me. He says, yet we urge you, brothers, 
to do so more and more. Love each other more. Be even better at looking after each other. Become even closer as family. Love each other more and more and more. I don't know about you, but I'm always amazed whenever I look back at the early church. When I read about the early church in the Bible, when I read about the early church in church history, they really loved each other with an incredible type of love. If you open up to Acts 2 and and you read there, 42 to 45, you'll see it. It says that all the believers were together and had everything in common. They shared their stuff with one another. They were like, family, can I borrow this? Can I use this? I have need of this. They shared their stuff. And then verse 45, and this is kind of mind-blowing to us. They sold their property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. If there was a brother or sister in the congregation who was financially destitute and in need, they, they sold possessions, extra stuff they had to meet that need. And then whenever you get into church history, you'll find that the early church in the, in the first two, three, four, five hundred years after Jesus, they had an incredible love for one another. Here's what Tertullian says. Tertullian says, he's an early church father. He died in 225 AD. He says this. He says that people look at Christians and say, look, they say, Look how they Christians love one another and how they are ready to die for each other. Tertullian says that as the world around them looked at the Christians, they were just flabbergasted at how the Christians loved each other. It was a type of love that only existed in families. It was a type of love that was just mind-boggling to those who looked on. And as I've thought about this, I've, I've kind of thought, why did they love each other so well? Why did the early Christians love each other so well? Why did they love each other as family? Well, I think they loved each other so well because no one else really loved them. I think the early church loved each other so well because no one else really did. Very often, and it happens in some countries today, but very often in the the early days of Christianity, if you became a Christian, your family disowned you. If you became a Christian in a Roman context where you were meant to worship the other gods to keep them happy and you said, I'm not doing that, your family disowned you. Becoming a Christian very often meant losing the love of your family. It meant your friends often disassociated with you. They used to want to be with you and now they don't. Now you're a Christian, you're different, they don't like what you're doing, they disassociate with you in the early days. And society, society disapproved of Christians on the whole. They disapproved. They disapproved of only worshiping one God. They disapproved of not being involved in the Roman cults and the Roman ways of things. Society disapproved of Christians. I think the early church loved each other so well because no one else really did. And they, what did they do then? Well, they, they socialized together because no one else would socialize with them. They helped one another because no one else would help. They provided for one another because they had no one else to turn to. I think they loved each other so well because no one else really loved them. Now, thankfully, it's not the same today. It's good, isn't it? It's good it's not the same today. I don't think any of us have been disowned by our families for being Christians. They might think we're a bit strange, but they've not disowned us. That's good news. Okay, our friends, they don't disassociate with us. Again, they might think we're a wee bit weird. They might think of some of the things we believe are strange, but they don't disassociate with us. They still spend time with us. They still hang out with us. They still invite us out for dinner and to do things. 
Society, society maybe disapproves of some of the things that we hold to be biblical truth. They might disapprove of some of our beliefs, but on a one-to-one level, society doesn't disapprove of us. In the workplace, we're not excluded, we're not left out. They might disapprove of some of our beliefs, but we're not excluded. The good news today is that we have other people who love us. We have other people who like us. We're not alone. But there is a problem, and it's a problem that I think is just widespread across the church today. And the problem is that we don't really love each other with the type of love we're meant to. We don't really love each other with this family type of love. We don't really love each other with this brotherly love. Sometimes we're hesitant to love each other. Sometimes we're hesitant to treat one another as family. Sometimes we we don't really care for one another very well. Sometimes we don't bother to provide for each other. Sometimes we don't spend time with each other and don't really want to. Sometimes we don't help each other when we need help. I think today that Christians are sometimes so focused on their own immediate family that they don't focus on the church family and love them as they should. But we're called to, aren't we? That's what we're meant to do, isn't it? We're we're called to do this. Even though we live in a different time, even though we live in a different country, even though we live in a different context, we are called to love one another as brothers and sisters in Christ. We're called to love each other with brotherly love, with family love. James Usher pointed that out, didn't he? A new what? A new commandment I give to you, says Jesus. Not an option, not an idea, a new commandment Jesus gives us to love one another. Here's a really challenging question. It's really, really challenging. Here it is. You see, if Paul was writing a letter to us at Ravenhill, you see, if Paul was writing, I don't know, first, first Ravenhillonians or whatever it would be, I wonder, could he say this? Now, about brotherly love, we do not need to write to you. For you yourselves have been taught by God to love one another. I wonder, could he say that? I wonder what he say, hey guys at Ravenhill, you get top marks. There's no one better at this than you. You're top of the class, you're 100%. I wonder, could he say this to us? You see, I'm not sure he could. I'm not sure he could. Now, I know that we seem to like each other. I know we get on with each other pretty well. I know where we enjoy being with each other. I know we're welcoming to each other and welcoming to people outside. I know that in this church family, there's a good vibe and a good feeling. We're friends. That's really good. But are we like family? Is our love like family? I want to encourage us this morning to, to think about our love for one another and think about it growing. As Paul says, I want to urge you to do this more and more. So whatever our love is like now for one another, I want to encourage us as a church family and as individuals in it to become more and more and more loving towards one another. And there's different directions you might want to think about. 
For some of you, maybe you need to increase the breadth of your love. Maybe in this church family, there's one or two people that you know. You've known them for years, but you've never really broadened out to get to know other people. Maybe there's one or two people who you think, yeah, I think of them as family, but everybody else, you kind of think, well, no, they're kind of strangers. I want to encourage you this morning, if that's you, to to just widen the breadth of your love. Get to know other people. Get to know their situations. Get to become friends with them. Open your arms and embrace some more people. For some of you, though, maybe it's a question of having to, 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 to go deeper in your love for others. You know, in Northern Ireland, we're very friendly people, aren't we? We're friendly. And very often, though, the problem with being friendly is very often we just stay on kind of friendliness. Very often, our relationships stay at this kind of superficial level. Our relationships very often stay at the level of small talk. Very often, they don't go particularly deep. And so maybe to increase our love for one another, we need to start to go deeper with each other. To ask the questions, how are you really doing just now? What are the biggest challenges in your life just now? What can I be praying for you just now? Do you need help with anything just now? I want to encourage you, if that's you, to to go deeper with some people. You can't go deep with everybody. But maybe you could go deeper with people in this church family. Deeper in your relationship. Deeper in your love for them. And then some of us, I think, need to, to, to maybe think about increasing the length we will go to to love other people. Now, I know there are some of you here, and you go to great lengths to love others. And it's inspiring. It's inspiring for me. It really is. Some of you are incredible. The lengths you go to to show love. But maybe for others of us, we, we don't really put ourselves out there. We, we won't go to any great length to love others. We won't put ourselves out. We won't make ourselves uncomfortable. We won't go to any length that might be troubling to us to love others well. And so maybe the challenge for you this morning is to go to greater lengths to love other people, to put yourself out there to love other people better. This morning, what direction does your love need to go? Broader, deeper, longer? pray the Holy Spirit will, will reveal that to you and challenge you with that in the coming days and weeks and months. But friends, church, this church family, we're not meant to be a bunch of strangers coming in on a Sunday, doing the church thing and leaving. We're meant to be a family, a family who love each other. Um, in our discipleship group a few weeks ago, we were talking about this and we were talking about kind of church uh, being family and uh, some of the folk to our discipleship are pretty new to the life of the church. And one of them was just saying, you know, he said, I, I find it really hard actually to get my head around this. He says, because you don't really spend much time with the people on Sunday. He says, you know, you come in and then you go and, and that's kind of it. And he says, it takes a long time really to get to know anybody. And so I want to encourage you, when you come on Sundays, and we need to go beyond Sundays, but when you come on Sundays, there's a few things I could do that I think we should do to, to help with this a little bit. So first of all, if you can, sit with other people. Sit with other people. Make a new friend. Chat to someone you don't know. Don't come in and just sit alone, but sit with others and talk to the people around you and get to know them a little bit. Another thing you can do is stay behind. 
Now, don't stay too long because uh, whoever shuts up likes to get home, you know, before two o'clock or whatever it is. But yeah, stick around. You know, if we start to do tea and coffee after the service, if we start to do that regularly, stay, make it a point of staying. Stay behind and have conversations and introduce yourself to people or, or go deeper in conversation with people you know. Stick around, stay behind, spend time with one another. Another thing we can do is to try to have conversations that go beyond the small talk. I know that's hard because we're from Northern Ireland. But we could try, couldn't we? Listen, how are you really doing? How's your week been? Just those questions that open up conversation that goes beyond the surface. Another thing to, to, to do, uh, to go deeper together, is to serve together. There's no other thing, I think, that binds us together than serving together. Get involved in something if you're not, where you're with other people and you're serving the Lord together. And the last thing, help one another. If you know someone's in need, if you know they're going through a hard time, just step out and help them. Step out and show compassion and care and love. The Thessalonians, they were incredible at loving one another. They were incredible at treating each other like family. And my prayer is that we would become better at this, that we would grow more and more and more in our love for one another. Now, I've got a bit of a challenge here because I could end the sermon there, but I do just quickly want to talk about the second aspect or else we'll be in Thessalonians for, for years. So let's look at the second half. So he's talking about inside and he said, listen, Thessalonians, top marks, loving one another, absolutely incredible, absolutely amazing. But then in verses 11 and 12, he goes on to show where they're missing the mark and where they're missing the mark is in how they're behaving outside the church in what they're doing outside the church. So look at what he says, and, and the key thing is, verse 12, he's saying that they may win the respect of others. So whatever way they're living, they're not earning the respect of people outside the church. So let's read the verses, and then we'll, we'll get into those. Um, there's definitely not as much time in this section, so don't panic, we'll be, we'll be, we'll be done uh, you know, at a reasonable time. But Paul says in verse 11, make it your ambition to lead a quiet life, to mind your own business, and to work with your hands, just as we told you so that your daily life may win the respect of outsiders and so that you will not be dependent on anybody. Now, to understand what's going on here and to understand why Paul is saying these things, you know, live a quiet life, work with your hands, stop being dependent on other people, win the respect of outsiders, you have to understand what's going on here. And what you need to understand is that in the church in Thessalonica, they had an obsession. Any of you obsessed with anything? Maybe football, maybe sewing, maybe cooking shows, maybe baking, who knows? What are you obsessed with? Well, in the Thessalonian church, the people had become, not all of them, but a lot of them had become obsessed with the second coming of Jesus. They became obsessed with this. It was the thing they thought about all the time. It was the thing they spoke about all the time. And a lot of the people in the church, they had come to believe that Jesus was coming back like immediately. They'd come to believe that his return was going to be any day. Now, they'd become obsessed with the second coming of Christ. And they believed he was coming back within days, weeks, months, imminently, whatever that was. And so that's why you'll see it in the rest of 1 Thessalonians. You'll see it all the way through 2 Thessalonians. That's why Paul talks about the second coming of Jesus so much. Because they're obsessed by it. And one of the problems with being obsessed by the second coming of Jesus, and one of the problems with believing that it's going to happen immediately, is that it can often lead to people doing very foolish things. I wonder, can any of you remember back to 2011? 
maybe this will refresh your memory, but in 2011, a man called Harold Camping, a, a, a radio host in the States, had told people that Jesus was going to return on the 21st of May, 2011. He put it out there on his radio program. He told the world this. And what was incredible is that lots and lots and lots of people believed him. They believed that Jesus was really coming back on the 21st of May. And so what was the response? Well, over 5,000 billboards went up all over the world saying that Jesus was coming back on the 21st of May. Billboards went up, check this out, in the Dominican Republic, Ethiopia, Ghana, Indonesia, Israel, Jamaica, Jordan, Lebanon, Lesotho, the Philippines, Tanzania, and the United States. Jesus is coming back on the 21st of May, this man said, and people put the billboards all over the world. Some people put them on their cars to let people know. Now, here's what's mad. Some people quit their jobs. They quit their jobs. Jesus was coming back on the 21st of May, so they weren't going to work another day, because what was the point? And they quit their jobs, and they went, and they told people that Christ was coming back on that date. Other people spent their life savings. One man in New York spent $140,000, all of his retirement money, on advertising for this event. And after the event, people were left hurt and bewildered and having to rebuild their lives. You see, whenever people become obsessed with the second coming, sometimes it can lead to them doing very foolish things. Very foolish things. I had a painful conversation with a lady um, not more than six months ago. And she opened up about how her dad believed that Jesus was coming back imminently. And so she was brought up with this childhood fear that Jesus was coming back and, and brought up with this childhood where nothing really mattered. It came to the point where her dad even stopped her going to university because what was the point? Jesus was coming back. An unhealthy obsession with the second coming can lead to very unhealthy things. And here in Thessalonians, this is what had happened. Some of the people believing that Jesus was coming back had done like those people had done. They quit their jobs. Jesus is on his way back. There's no point in working. And so what did they do with no jobs? Well, they went about and they were loud and they told people, Jesus is coming back. You're silly for working. There's no point in doing that. Jesus will be asking. You might as well quit. They were becoming loud mouths. They were going around talking about this. The end is nigh. The end is nigh. You can imagine them, can't you? This was their obsession. They were annoying people in their society. They weren't working. They were loud. And then because they weren't working, then they needed finance, didn't they? They needed to put food on the table and with no employment, they needed help to do that. And so where did they turn? They turned to the church family and because the church family were so loving, the church family helped them. The church family were being taken advantage of by these people. And what's terrible is that in society where Christians were kind of reviled enough, these people were just tipping people over the edge. Whatever respect they might have had for Christianity, these people were ruining it. Outside the church, these Thessalonian Christians were giving Jesus a bad reputation and Christians a bad reputation, and they'd lost the respect of society. And so that's why Paul writes to them, have a look at verse 11. Make it your ambition to lead a quiet life. Stop going around 
saying what you're saying in the way you're saying it. Like, don't mishear Paul here. He's not saying don't share the gospel. We are to share the gospel. He's not saying don't believe the second coming won't happen. It will happen. Paul taught about it. Christ is going to come back. But he says, look, stop being so loud and ostentatious and annoying with how you're doing it. Stop being so brash. Make it your ambition to lead a quiet life, to mind your own business and to work with your hands. Get back to work. Make it your ambition to get back to your job. Stop sponging off your brothers and sisters in Christ. Get back to work, Paul says. And then why does he say to do these things, verse 12, so that your daily life may win the respect of outsiders and so that you'll not be dependent on anybody. Do this so that it glorifies Jesus on the outside, so that people actually look at Christians and respect them and respect Christ. And do it so that you don't have to sponge off your brothers and sisters in Christ anymore. We need to think about how we live amongst outsiders, about, amongst those who are not Christians, don't we? And let me ask you a question. Does your life gain their respect? Does the way you live your life outside the church gain the respect of outsiders? Does the way you live your life, your daily life, glorify Jesus? The Thessalonians were not getting top marks in this. But I want to encourage you this morning to aim for top marks in this area too. To live your lives in such a way that people respect you as a Christian. Respect the Christ you love. And that your life may glorify Jesus. So we're aiming for top marks, folks. Top marks inside to love one another. Top marks outside as we live for Jesus. And I reckon this morning all of us feel convicted in some way. I know I do. I imagine all of us feel challenged this morning in some way. Well, the great news is that the Lord Jesus is the one who helps us. He forgives us of where we failed and he empowers us to live for him. So let's pray in response and ask him to help us. Lord Jesus, we thank you so much for one another. And Lord, we thank you for the, the love between us that is in some cases like family. But Lord, I pray for us that we would become a community that is more, more, known more and more for our love of one another. Lord, help us to open up our arms and get to know more people and love them well. Lord, help us to go deeper in our love for others by building deep relationships where we really open up to one another. And Lord, help us to go to greater lengths to care for and look after one another. And Lord Jesus, our desire is not only in here that we please you, but out there in the world where we live. So Lord, in the university place, in the, in the schoolyard, in our workplace, wherever we go, may we live in such a way that gains the respect of others and glorifies Jesus. Holy Spirit, take your word and continue to speak to us even as we leave today. And may our lives be different this week in light of what you've said. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.